to this NCAA Off Week edition of Puck University. As always, I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined this week by Jim Williams, host of the Conference Call podcast, among many others. How's the weather in Baltimore today? Oh, it's uh, it's a little overcast, and um, but you know, it's uh, it's not too bad, so we can't complain. A lot of good stuff coming up, and obviously, hockey is. Uh, at the forefront with, you know, what's going on in college. And the reason you're off is because, you know, they're getting ready for the playoffs. So outstanding stuff. Yeah. And, well, there there are two reasons we're off this week. Everyone's getting ready for the Frozen Four. And Mm -hmm. I guess there's this other event that the NCAA just doesn't want to have any real competition within (laughs) their own ranks. Just just something else I've heard might be going on. So, yeah. Little a little tournament somewhere. A little dribbling around out there in the desert, yeah. Wonder what they call that thing. The final four or something like that, yeah. Yeah, something like that. They don't no, they seriously don't the, the, the NBA I mean sorry, the NCAA has does not they're like they're like the National Football League, they're like the World Series with Major League Baseball. They do not want any any distra- you know, distractions going on. From what, in essence, is the uh, you know pays the bills. I mean, approximately a little over ninety percent of the operating budget for the year for the NCAA is comes from the rights fees that they get for the NCAA basketball. So, so it it is understandable, I suppose, um, why they would do that. And of course, they're running obviously the women's final four simultaneously. So I think. The idea of having three finals in one specific weekend uh, is burning up a whole lot of um, of content, and I don't think that that's something that the NCAA wants to do, or, or frankly, makes any sense. Yeah, it wouldn't be right. And there are there are plenty of schools that have very good basketball programs and hockey programs that could mm-hmm. be in both of these events. It it doesn't sure. always happen, but you have your your schools that can do that so that would be quite a troublesome issue for the bands and for everything else and on top of that it would make the frozen four let's face it it would turn it into an undercard to the main event of the basketball tournaments and that that wouldn't be doing any favors to college hockey that's for sure no no and i think that you're absolutely right i mean what you want to do and what the ncaa has been relatively good at over the years um you know, I have my issues with the NCAA, but this is not one of them. Uh, they have always, always understood how to put on an event, whether it's the College World Series, whether it's the Frozen Four, whether it's the Final Four. They they know how to make an event work, and uh, you know, kudos to them on that. But uh, you know, so so you know, Chicago will be uh, Chicago's a great hockey town. Possibly one of the best hockey towns in the country, um, you know, with obviously Boston, your neck of the woods up there, Detroit, that uh, whole area, Buffalo, and and um, you know those those parts of the country as well. So you know because of the success year in and year out of the Blackhawks, um, I think uh, you know without question it's a uh, you know it's a beam in town and it's not quite as balmy in Chicago this time of the year as it was in Tampa Bay last year when they had it at the Amelie Arena. But at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, Chicago, centrally located, uh, good good choice. 
And it would take so much for it to happen, but you just hope that having college hockey in Chicago might inspire a couple of, let's say, Northwestern boosters to look at Penn State and say, you know, if I threw a little bit of money into this, we could have one too. <laughs> true. I mean, it's absolutely true. I, I, To be honest, I'm surprised that Notre Dame hasn't played at least one or two games. Um, you know, it probably has to do with the – uh, the arena there uh, being booked with the Bulls and the uh, you know and and of course the Blackhawks, but uh, I would I would think someday down the line they would want to get uh, Notre Dame to play uh, to play in Chicago at least uh, one or two games a year. Yeah, I could imagine, for example, maybe Notre Dame and Wisconsin playing in in Chicago for. Yeah, for that would be great. Ninety miles away, you know, Wisconsin's right there. The other thing, uh, have Michigan. I mean, because Michigan, of course, is um, you know about oh, um, you know, the state of Michigan's not far, but Detroit to Chicago is uh, you know is not that bad a drive. So um, yeah, without question, I think that that uh, there's at least two Big Ten teams uh, that could easily uh, come out and and, and play. And, uh, you know, I think that would be something that a lot of people would enjoy. Well, that would make for a conference matchup since Notre Dame's joining the Big Ten next year for hockey. Right, right. Um, There is some news today in the college hockey world. The Hobie hat trick was announced. The three finalists for the Hobie Baker Award are – the defenseman from Denver, Will Butcher. Mm-hmm. The scorer from Union, Mike Vecchioni. And the center from Northeastern, Zach Aston Reese. Wow. It's good on Northeastern, huh? Yeah, I I actually kind of take issue with the narrative I've heard throughout the Hobie Baker discussion this year that there's no front runner. I don't see why Zach Aston Reese wouldn't be the front runner. Now granted, as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I went to Northeastern. Right. So take what I'm about to say, listeners, with a grain of salt. But he led the country in goals this year, Aston Reese, despite his line mates combining to miss over thirty games. The Stevens brothers had a couple of injuries throughout the season. And I I don't see why that wouldn't be enough of a resume to win this award. I understand that Northeastern as a team disappointed this year, but I wouldn't hang that on Zach Aston Reese, who he played like a Hobie Baker winner. That's not to say that Vecchioni and Butcher haven't. Obviously, Denver could win this whole thing, and he could walk away with all the hardware next weekend. This The Hobie, Hobie Baker Award will be given out on April 7th. And uh, I wanted to—I don't want to belabor it and sound too much like a homer, but I really think if I had a vote, Zach Aston Reese would have mine. That—that's—that's that's for sure. Well, you know, one of the other things, Tim, that I think is important to note—it's like he was a leading scorer, but he was a leading scorer in a conference that arguably is, is the toughest in the entire college hockey. Yeah, Hockey East has been extremely tough, and it's a tough place to score goals in particular. It's it's generally seen as a more physical, more defensive conference. There were a lot of scorers in Hockey East this year, with Tyler Kelleher from UNH also being one of the leading scorers. And, and Northeastern's team is built to score a lot of goals. They saw some other guys on the score sheet quite a bit as well. But the undrafted senior... 
winning the Hobie Baker Award would be a great story, and it would be a great milestone for Northeastern. Vecchione played with one. He played with a Hobie Baker winner in Shane Gossespair a few years ago. He could win it as well. I I certainly don't want to say anyone's unworthy of the award. When you get down to three, it's really pick one, and there's really no wrong. You're not wrong anywhere down the line, yeah. Uh, it's funny. I, uh, as someone who constantly defends um, Alex Ovechkin uh, here in the Washington area with the Capitals, I mean, look, scoring is very, very important to winning. <laughs> and uh, you know, I, I, I get the defense situation. I get all that stuff. Fine, great, wonderful. But put the biscuit in the back of the, you know basket is the is what you know what people get paid to do and in college is what you you know want to do and so i i personally am quite partial to people who are capable of, of putting up those numbers and as you put uh, pointed out that hockey traditionally is a good defensive um conference you know again to me Leading, being you know, being a leading scorer and being able to do it at the highest possible level, um, you know, to me that that puts uh, you know that puts him at the top of of a potential list. If I if I had a vote too, which unfortunately neither of us do. So, uh, but if we did, we you know he'd get it. But as you say, look, you get to that point, you throw a ba- you know, you throw a blanket over the three of them and. Any one of them could win it, and and would be worthy of doing it. But you know, I think that um, you know, as you said, undrafted, because we're going to get to that part, which is something I know you really are passionate about the uh, about the how hockey, college hockey's draft is. Uh, I'm sorry, the NHL draft. I apologize. Is done, and what role colleges play in it um, is very interesting, frankly. And uh, I think that. Uh, for him to be undrafted, um, he will definitely not be sitting on the, uh, you know, on the couch long in the not too distant future for somebody to call him up and and offer him a, a contract. I, oh, I would think already, that would not take long. He already signed one. He's with the Penguins organization. He's been playing in Wilkes-Barre already. It's and that's that I think dovetails pretty nicely into why we're here today, which is. As you mentioned, I have a passionate belief that of all the sports professional drafts, hockey has the one that really stands out as the one that makes the most sense, the system that works the best. And I know that's a that's a bit of a hot take, I guess, to use that phrase, unfortunately, but it I I honestly believe that the NHL draft is the one that makes the most sense, especially in the way it affects the college hockey system. And I think this week is one of the most fun parts of it. When you see all these players whose seasons just ended that are scrambling to either sign with the teams that drafted them or their free agents who just had a senior season where they're being considered for the Hope Baker award. In fact, Vecchioni is also a free agent now. Well, I, I, you know, there's no question that that other sports, college basketball, for instance, where you get a lot of one and duns and sometimes two and duns, um, would benefit from this process. Uh, Major League Baseball would. I mean, but yeah, again, you know, basketball I think has the weakest of the 
minor league systems. And in some regard, they've actually gone to, uh, you know, they've invested in, in the developmental league. And, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I don't want Adam Silver chasing me down the street, but, you know, that's not exactly a, a phenomenal thing. And if, if you look at it traditionally, certainly most recently, uh, if you look at the draft, they're getting a lot of kids who are playing basketball overseas, you know, in, in very strong European leagues, and in some cases in China and, and obviously um, in the Asian leagues, not to the extent that what happens in uh, in Europe. But um, they're finding out that the kids from Europe are much more uh, mature, and, um, you know, maybe they played some college basketball in the United States, maybe they didn't, but uh, one way or the other, they are getting down the team concepts, and I think that's um, you know part of it. So I think you're, to your point, um, you're learning that you're going to get a much brighter, more seasoned athlete who you know who isn't uh, just raw talent, but has you know some some uh, smarts with them that's able to walk out and you know adapt quicker. Just to provide some specifics, the NHL draft, it's between 18 and 20-year-olds, but so that age range. Once you're drafted and a player goes to college, the team that drafted them retains their rights throughout their time at college. Anyone undrafted after 20 graduates in the free agency from college hockey. This, As I mentioned, this year's free agent class includes two of the three Hobie Baker finalists but I think the part of it that I like the most is when you think of how college in general is set up to work in people, young people being prepared for what they hope their future careers will be. And sometimes those are low percentage careers in which schools have always offered majors. It seems like they should be helping the professional athlete or the aspiring professional athlete, the high school kid that, barring injury, will make the pros, they should be helping that person learn how to succeed in their next walk of life, which is, in college hockey's case, often professional hockey. Well, with regard to, you know, the point about um, how they do it, uh, what are the percentages, or you know, this is uh, ballparking it. What are the percentages of guys who get drafted who finish their, you know, their time, you know, four years at the uh, at the university? I I'd struggle to give you a percentage. I'm I'm just looking at a list right now of draft picks that are playing college hockey, and there are a lot of seniors. But not everyone does graduate, and there are certain programs oh, where no, a lot I understand of the that. NHL yeah. bound guys leave a little early because sure. they're recruiting. Let's face it, guys that mm-hmm. can play in the NHL right now. Clayton Keller was at BU last week, mm-hmm. excellent scorer for Boston University. Now he's a member of the Coyotes, and he's playing with the NHL club. He was part of a goal last night, so. I guess the more accurate one was would a more accurate way of saying it, and that's on me. You never ask a question you don't have the answer to. But the um, from my standpoint, uh, so bad on me. But at this point, what I guess what, what more accurately I, I meant was how many guys 
stay with the college for the four years, whether they get a degree or not. There are people who, you know, um, no matter whether you're just a student at the university, that may go there four years and still not attain the degree. So, yeah, I, I, get, they, I get that. Between part. half and two-thirds. That's pretty to good. Give, to give a rough estimate. Okay. That's that's yeah. pretty good. Plus, um, you know, they do get, you know, look at, look at how many guys come out of um, – know, these days come out of college baseball, right? To make it a quick analogy, come out of college baseball and spend very little time in the in the minor leagues. You know, they'll they'll go and they'll play, and they they may spend you know one year zinging through the uh, the minor league system. So you know, uh, and we all know about football. We all know about basketball. I mean, those guys step off a college campus and you know into a uniform and if you're a basketball player, you know, you can easily make a roster. And if you're a pro football player, you're probably playing on Sundays. But the other thing that makes this unique is the professional influence that right. these teams have in college hockey. And again, we're only talking about the guys that are the cream of the crop early on mm -hmm. that get drafted. And you have your standout seniors and juniors and seniors that graduate in the free agency or leave college early straight into free agency. But for the most part, the NHL bound guys are drafted almost straight out of high school. They go to these colleges that turn them into experience more than anything else. And the pro teams, they don't, they can't force anyone to do anything. There are strict rules about the degree to which they can advise players, but they get to advise players during the off season, they can invite those players to camps of sorts to play with their coaches and get some input from their coaches without losing their NCAA eligibility. And I think it's the only sport of the big four that allows that. And that's, I think that changes the game a lot. And I think it would change the game a lot in any other sport as well, that the coaches, the various scouts from a given team will be able to give a player their input and help prepare them for that change in style and that change in intensity that they always get when they go pro. Well, yeah, and to your point, if a team, you know, decides, you know what, we saw this kid, but we're not sure, allowing him to play in the um, you know in the collegiate ranks for a while gives them a chance to monitor his maturation and his skill level as he gets better and uh, you know at that point you're just saying well are we better off having him here or are we better off you know would he be better off being you know one of our um, you know minor league systems but at that point you're probably just saying well as long as he's not going to get hurt let him play in the college. Right. And with the minor league systems, those games are really good for a player's development as well, and they learn quite a few things from that. But the minor leagues don't have the intense playoff situations that college can bring as well. So if you have a player that you expect to be on a playoff team sooner rather than later, you might want to put him in a position where he can play in the NCAA tournament, the conference tournaments, and mm -hmm. various local tournaments. The the bean pot comes to mind because I live here sure. in Boston, but there are plenty of others, of course. Mm -hmm. And 
and that gives you that elimination game experience that it's hard to get on lower levels of hockey. It happens really just in college hockey and the Canadian junior leagues. Well, the other factor, too, is burnout, right? Because if you take like a minor league player in basketball or, or baseball that hasn't you know, made it quite yet to the pros or the development league in, in, the, in basketball or, or baseball, you've got, uh, of course, the, uh, the minor leagues. I mean, one of the things you see a lot in minor league baseball, for sure, is the burnout rate. I mean, kids are used to playing maybe 50 to 60 baseball games a year, and they turn around and they get drafted, and then they come and uh, you know they're taken quickly to you know the either the fall league in uh, in Arizona or Florida, and then they turn around and and uh, are are playing um, in in February. Uh, you know, down when the camps are down there. And, and again, so they play their first season, and uh, you find out that, you know, when they hit that 50, 75, 100 game thing, they, they start hitting the wall. Uh, they just haven't been out there playing enough. And I think what you're getting here is, you know, colleges play a significant, you know, nice schedule. But that rest factor is not a bad thing because, again, you know, you you get to see the the kid, you get to see the whole sample size without necessarily having to worry about whether or not um, they're overtaxed by the time the season's over. The one drawback so far, or the biggest drawback, I would say, to this particular system is that you aren't necessarily guaranteed anyone that you draft will actually sign with your team at any point. And it's not there's not that much of a penalty for a senior to leave a school and choose not to sign with their pro team. They can't play that season, but they can wait until August and sign a contract. Jimmy BC last year, who won the Hobie Baker Award, did this to the Nashville Predators, who in all likelihood would have played him in the playoffs. And he said mm-hmm. no, and he wound up with the Rangers, and he's been playing well this season. But that can happen, and that's a real concern. And that's also, to your to your question earlier about how many players actually stay for the four years, that's mm-hmm. the thing that gets teams to say, well, maybe we should get them to, to leave after their junior year so they sign and so they don't think to to do this and become free agents and walk out on us. So that's part of why you'll see teams try and suggest players should go sign with their pro teams early is so they can keep the rights to that player. It's kind of funny to say that he's probably got a better chance of winning a Stanley Cup in Nashville than he does in New York. uh, Well, it would have helped that team. They they were hurting for players. They had a lot of injuries on that team. They were in great position coming into the playoffs. If they had signed VC, he would have been he would have been in an opportunity to make a name for himself in the playoffs. Right but, off the bat. But of course, without trying to say too much, because we don't know what's going on behind the closed doors. We don't really sure. know what the offer entailed. And if it mm-hmm. wasn't a good offer, it wasn't a good offer. Jimmy VC went to Harvard. He's not gonna turn he's not gonna play yeah, Steve. Yeah. Uh but but again, and, and to your point on that, I mean look. You've got an agent. You've got some sort of representative dealing with the club. You're right. There, 
they don't make the offers um you know open so nobody really knows what it is and so yeah i mean if if um if the Nashville offer wasn't what he wanted and maybe he had been a lifelong long ranger fan or you know or or enjoyed some of the players on the team you know it makes some sense so you're right we don't know and uh, we we only play sit here and play speculation but you know more often than not though the players stay with the organizations that draft them so that uh, that is kind of a a good situation in that regard well usually when you have a player that good you're motivated to not want them to leave you're motivated right. to give them the offer that well you can look at it again nashville really could have used that particular mm-hmm. player at that particular time so mm-hmm. i'm sure that played into the negotiation i have a great hypothetical that we're going to get to right after a quick break you're listening to Puck University on Blog Talk Radio and the Podcast Lab Network. Hey everybody, it's still me. Let me tell you about Podcast Lab. We have a whole network of podcasts for you. Check out the world of college sports from the people who make it happen on Conference Call with Jim Williams. Jim also hosts longtime Tampa area sports writers Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson on the Sunshine Boys podcast every week. You can hear more of my prattling on about sports with The Pickup Game with Tim Williams. Sports fans and analysts from every kind of game. On Fridays, listen for Puck University as I take you through college hockey discussion in season and out. Need a break from the sports world? Jim's got you covered with the Politically Incorrect podcast. And of course, there's more to come. That's the Podcast Lab Network here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Puck University. I'm joined by Jim Williams this week, host of the Conference Call podcast and moderator of Politically Incorrect podcast and the Sunshine Boys podcast. Busy, busy person. Thank you for joining me this week. Anytime. Now, we've been talking about the differences between hockey's draft and the other sports draft and how they impact the college sports scene. In, uh-huh. in and of themselves and my hypothetical is to try and imagine other sports with this draft system and you mentioned earlier you have an idea of what you think would be best for what you think would work best with this kind of a system i have my own but i'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts on which sport could use a system like this more i think it would be best for the national basketball association because you know, again, I know they have the development league, but there's also, you know, there are times when you'll see a team draft a player, a European player, and let that European player stay there for another year or two um, as they, you know, as they build themselves up. And once they get to, uh, you know, comfortable to, uh, uh, to come and play in the NBA, then they they come and play, and uh, I mean it happens, you know, often where they'll take a flyer on somebody. Sometimes, um, you know, they may be a second or a third round draft choice, that you know, that high. Uh, but I think for basketball, allowing the kids to play at a high level in college, where they're going to get a lot of action, where they're going to get a lot of opportunity to play, 
to me, seems better than bringing somebody on. Uh, I mean, look, the superstars are going to walk off the court in the you know in college basketball and right onto an NBA court. That's that's a given. I'm talking about you know guys who uh, you know may be the 14th or 15th man on the uh, on the roster that they of the team they were drafted on. Uh, your NBA second round picks, if yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. So you're you're there and you're trying to. Uh, you know, find a place to put them. You don't have any place to put them. And so you go to the developmental league where they play a relatively substandard you know, brand of basketball. Uh, I would think that, you know, playing in college, it's a higher level. Um, you've got, you know, the other part of this equation too is when you're on a collegiate situation, you also have the highest level of, of, um, of training staff and and um, and uh, medical staff to go as well. So you're you know you're basically sitting there going, okay, well you know if the guy tweaks his knee a little bit, you know they've got the training staff right there and you know state of the art facilities to make sure that something doesn't go wrong. That uh, your investment is gone before it ever gets started. So I, I do believe, and I know that David Stern back when David was running the uh, NBA that David had tried desperately to work out a deal with the NCAA that they could have, um, you know, I don't know if it were, if really had gotten to the point where they, you know, would uh, have done what, uh, you know, what they have in, in college hockey, but they were playing, you know, the playing along those lines because David didn't like the one and dones uh, in the league because he thought it was, you know, he, traditionally he's a he's a big time college. Uh, basketball guy, and he felt that 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 was, you know, he didn't like seeing it destroy college basketball teams. So he was trying to do his best to um, to see if they could do it. But remember, um, you know, there's there is a situation, and it has been for a long time, that you know there there is the right to work situation, which of course Julius um, Irving and uh, a number of other uh, players. Uh, ended up in the ABA because of it, and so they they basically went that that route. But uh, I do believe, given your hypothetical, that uh, of all the uh, the, the uh, professional teams, uh, le- uh, pro- sorry, professional leagues out there, that the one that that uh, would benefit the most would be basketball because um, because baseball has a a pretty solid minor league system. And the NCAA is pretty much the only system uh, you can can go. I guess you could try uh, the Arena League, but you know, for the NFL, it's it's it really is um, you know guys who can walk off college campus and play play football. It's really interesting to think about how that would go into basketball because it would it would make the recruiting for college basketball extremely interesting given the personalities that are in that group of coaches john calipari is essentially already doing this he's doing basically what david quinn's doing at bu he's recruiting guys who are on their way to the pros not quite ready for the pro league yet but maybe with one more year of polish they will be and he's happy to give them that one more year or two years or whatever he gets and he's happy if he can graduate all or if he can send all five freshmen to the nba Every year, I I think he'd be extremely well equipped to do this 
in a certain way. I don't know if it would hurt, it would help the amount of one and dones in college basketball. And in fact, I don't think it would very much at all because I think it'd be the same Kentucky program he's running right now. And it would be fun to see what Coach K's Team USA ties would do in that regard because a lot of the one and done type players don't look at Duke because Duke won't really recruit them. But people might be inclined to stay at Duke a couple of years when their coach has LeBron's number on his cell phone. Well, he does. So so we'll see. But I think that, you know, not to get too far afield here, but I think that what happens and what has happened, certainly in um, in basketball in, in that particular area, it really begins all the way back in, you know, in, in AAU basketball, which for some of these kids – AU basketball starts and can start as early as the ninth grade. So, you know, you're in an AAU program under those circumstances. There's been a number of, of high school and college um, coaches that have, uh, you know, gone through that system and, and know the AAU system very well. And usually it's uh, it's a kid who is an AAU player and has been through the AAU system. That ends up, you know, at John's, uh, with John Calipari, uh, either at his camp first and then at Kentucky, or, you know, shows up at Kentucky knowing that he's not going to have to worry about uh, trying to explain to a coach that, you know, hey, look, coach, after the first year, I, if everything goes right, I'm, uh, you know, enter the draft. To that point, the NBA has never really been involved in the development of their own players. It's been out of their hands in AAU basketball and then in college basketball. And given the ties between those two, if the NBA were to get some influence in college basketball, they'd really be able to control the development of their own players in a way that might produce better NBA players. Sure. I don't think that that would be a problem. That's what I was saying. I think that they would benefit because let's say they – you know, there's a guy who uh, the Washington uh, Wizards chose a few years back by the name of Jan Vesey. And Jan, um, you know, played in Europe, and he was uh, 19 years old, and uh, they drafted him, and he wasn't ready to play yet. He was not. He came over, he came to camp, and clearly he was not, you know, ready to play. He was, however, ready to play and played in uh, in Greece. And... Uh, you know, he was a professional player and um, for one of the Greek teams. And he played in Greece. He played in Italy. And finally, uh, when he was 22, 23 years old, he was ready to come and play uh, professional basketball, you know, in uh, in the NBA. And then, unfortunately for him, uh, he got over here, played for a little while, and then was injured and, and you know, basically never got back. But uh, the concept is not something that's, that's new. It's something that's old with the NBA. They... They, as I said before, they they often um, draft players from from Europe, and so does the uh, NHL. I mean, uh, there's a lot of times uh, you can look a couple of years ago. I mean, they'll draft kids, and, and if the kids aren't, you know, ready, they uh, they let them play for their home, uh, you know, their home team or whatever team they're playing in, and then when the time comes, um, you know, they. They put them on a plane and fly over here, and suddenly they're ready to go. But 
So it's it's yeah, not like that hasn't already been tried because it, it does work, you know, both in the NBA and and obviously it works in in college. Well, with hockey, it's really easy because kids have all sorts of options. They can play Canadian junior leagues. They can play mm-hmm. in Europe if they're from, preferably if they're from Europe usually, and mm-hmm. they can play in college hockey. So mm-hmm. having those options. They don't get every single pro-bound player. In fact, this is kind of increasingly bumper crops of NHL-bound players coming through college hockey. Ten years ago, you didn't see quite as many as you do now. And that's that's a great rising tide for college hockey, that's for sure. But it helps that they have those options that that some basketball players have as well, and I can think of a few other players. Ricky Rubio is one that comes to mind, who was drafted Mm -hmm. in Europe and played in Europe for a considerable amount of time before he came to the NBA. But a team had his, they controlled his rights throughout, and they could help out where they were allowed, and they helped develop Rubio. So that's an interesting way of going about business, and I can certainly see why David Stern would have wanted a similar system his and his nba after all had a lot of nhl ties gary bettman used to work for him right uh gary was uh, his lawyer so um and his right-hand man to many situations i know that gary's not necessarily the most popular uh commissioner in sports um he can however send some flowers to roger goodell who i think has supplanted him as the uh the most hated uh, commissioner in sports but uh I would say that, I that, yeah, especially in the Boston area and throughout New England. But um, no, I, I would say that certainly Gary has been forward thinking in in his attempt to make sure that everybody who is capable of playing uh, in in hockey gets a gets a, a, a fair shot at it. And uh, you know, I think the teams over time, because the league has uh, under Batman has expanded tremendously, and um, you know I, I think that, uh, frankly, I think that um, um, the NHL is going to be a, a big hit in in Vegas, and I think that'll that'll only help. And you know, there's probably going to be one or two more expansions done, so that just means more jobs, more opportunities for kids to play uh, professional hockey that uh, may not have had that you know opportunity in the past. And I think the Vegas team might lead to even more chaos in the college hockey early departure category where, where, again, I mentioned earlier that this week is one of the most fun weeks to follow college hockey because even though there's no actual hockey taking place this weekend, there are so many players signing contracts, choosing to leave early, choosing to stay, sometimes making announcements, sometimes not. It doesn't all happen in the first couple of weeks, so it could be months from now, and a player could still choose to leave after he goes to his pro team's camp and finds out that he really likes a certain coach or something along those lines. But this week is a lot of fun because you see those seniors start to look at, well, can I play in the NHL right away? And we have a couple players who did play in the NHL and college hockey in the same week. One wasn't even a senior. Clayton Keller left BU, and he's immediately, after being a freshman, playing on lines with the Arizona Coyotes, 
Brock Besser scored a goal a day after scored an NHL goal a day after North Dakota was eliminated. So he basically walked straight into the NHL. Mm-hmm. And it's that's always a lot of fun. When I think of which sport I'd like to have this style of draft, though, I always think of football. Because if you want to talk about a sport where the professional league has no control of their players until they become professionals, it's football. There's no minor league at all. They expect the NCAA to be that league for them, and that's been great in a lot of ways. And I would not be changing any age minimums, by the way. The three years removed from high school seems perfectly fine. I don't. <laughs> I, I'm even worried when a junior declares for the draft in football. It seems like they're putting themselves in danger. So, but I just imagine the utter chaos that would be the middle of January if college football had the same landscape as college hockey, and if the NFL draft worked the way the NHL draft does. It it would be chaotic. It would be a whole world different than what we're used to, but. To me, it would be really fun, and it would be a great – it's a great hypothetical. It's a great thing to think about. It, it, let's face yeah, it. Yeah, might be, uh, there might be the entire Alabama football team drafted. So. Right. And those who aren't drafted, well, you look at this year's NFL draft, one of the top quarterbacks is Mitch Trubisky, right. who really came out of nowhere this year to become a first-round pick. He wouldn't have been out of high school – a very high draft pick. He might have not been drafted at all. And imagine if one of the top quarterbacks in the country graduated straight into NFL free agency. That would be chaos. But it'd also be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You're talking about... Oh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Free agents, right? For a minute, I thought, you, I thought you meant freshmen for a minute. Uh, you know, right out of high no. school. I'm thinking, no, 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 that's not going to happen. But, no, no. Uh, yeah. No, it's... Uh, look, the NFL... I, Absolutely, the NFL has no real. They already have college as their uh, as their incubator and their and their tryout situation. But um, you know, and and you know, and I know. I mean, come on, um, these these scouts for the NFL have have seen these kids since high school. So right. you know, they've plotted them along. That doesn't mean that somebody doesn't jump on the radar like you just said. I mean, absolutely. Um, there are people who who fly on the radars, but for the most part, you know, most of these draft guys, you know, the Mel Kuypers of the world, the Todd Shays of the world, um, they know of these players, you know, sometimes when they're a junior in high school. Well, it's now we find out on National Signing Day, there's this list of the top high school players in the country, and. People who follow football get to know these names. I just, I I go back to the pro-involvement in the development process. And it seems odd to me that the top quarterback coming into college football in the country, when he goes to the NFL, he'll have had pretty much zero training as to how to play NFL football, unless, of course, he plays for Jim Harbaugh or one of the other coaches who has been in the NFL. But that's not a guarantee. There are plenty of really great college football coaches who, frankly, the NFL could exist on Mars for all they care, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I would love to see how the recruiting would change in this kind of situation for the schools that decidedly don't run what they call pro-style offenses. 
Yeah, that that would be a problem because, you know, let's look at, you know, people like Robert Griffin III, Johnny Manziel. I mean, there's there's a litany, and, you know, that's just recently, but there's a litany of college quarterbacks, you know, who were fantastic. Steve Walsh at the University of Miami. Um, you know, a ton of these guys who the moment they stepped on a pro field for whatever reason, in, in Robert's case, it's a, it's not necessarily fair because he was injured his first season. He had led the team to uh, to the playoffs, but but he got injured, you know, in the in uh, in you know a couple games before in the Baltimore game uh, during the regular season. Then came back to play in the playoffs, and that was kind of ill advised uh, against Seattle, and then he wrecked his uh, leg again in that Seattle playoff game, and he was never the same. And, uh, you know, and then you had Johnny Menzel, who comes out from Texas A&M. Everybody thought he was a can't-miss Johnny football. And rather than physical situations, in the case of Menzel, it's purely just, you know, his lack of of maturity. So, you know, I don't know. It would be interesting to see how it played out. Well, again, we're just having fun with this. This is all sure. purely hypothetical. We're just passing time during a bye week. But I think about things like you know, Manziel's situation. Right. He, he, we didn't know the extent of his issues before, right. and you know, only he knows them now. But we did know, as you know, a sports-watching public, that Johnny Manziel had a bit of an ego coming out of college and got not into really big trouble, but the kind of thing that gets talked about on the fucking head shows. Mm-hmm. And you wonder if had a pro team had his rights that whole time, would they have mm-hmm. been able to send some mentor if it were the Ravens say, send Ray Lewis down and mm-hmm. have him talk to the kid and see if maybe that helps or maybe some mentorship involved with the NFL helps. Not that Texas A&M, I'm sure they tried everything they could as well. Because I got a lot of friends you know, at Texas they A&M. Want, I, I, they don't yeah. want that happening either. It's not right. that they're okay with it, but they would have that much more help. I, don't, I think it would improve the college football system. It would make things crazy. It's kind of funny to think about the idea of, the NFL draft day, who's your team going to get in it in, well, three, maybe four years? Right. That, that seems like an odd, that, that would probably be a much tougher sell than I'm imagining it. But, well, but then at the same time, yeah. I could imagine as a fan of a team wanting to follow who that team has coming up. Right. Oh, well, gee, my team's you know, running back's not about, very good. I hope their college kid's awesome. Right. To your point about Johnny Menzel, okay. What would that have? What would it have done? All right, had Manziel known that he was going to be, you know, I mean, obviously he knew he was going to get drafted. Okay, he knew he was going to play professional football. He didn't know where. So let's say, for the sake of argument, that he finally found out that he was that the people, you know, that Cleveland was going to be, you know, was going to be where he applied his trade. And uh, if he knew that, and he knew that that basically his beside you know besides his physical talent, that his um, you know his maturity level off the field was going to be you know a detriment to him. 
then perhaps they wouldn't even have to mentor him. Perhaps knowing that I've got this, I know who the coaching staff is, I know what they you know, what was expected of me. You know, uh, this is going way back, but just since we're shooting the breeze here on this, Roger Staubach, um, back in the day, was uh, a quarterback with Navy. Now, of course, just like David Robinson, who played basketball for the Naval Academy, uh, they had to serve the time, you know, after they uh, graduated from Annapolis. Uh, what Tom Landry did was he sent the playbook to Roger, and Roger got familiar with the playbook while he was, you know, in training. Um, if you are, you know, if you are indeed a up-and-coming someone, you know, I've drafted. It's not uncommon that I would consider sending you, not necessarily the playbook, but plays that uh, you know that we run, things that you would be able to watch on uh, on you know on video and 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 get you know acclimated to it and acclimated to the way that they did do things. But you know, it's it's a very very uh, interesting situation, and, and I just don't know that. Uh, I think hockey has it right, and I think that. Uh, I don't see the NFL moving in that direction, although it would be a wise thing to do. I don't see necessarily the NBA revisiting that situation because they've been down that road and it didn't seem to work out for whatever reason. And as we've already established, Major League Baseball has a uh, a long-standing and what seems to be a pretty good um, system in their own abilities to uh, to work them through the minor leagues. So I don't know for the long the long haul. I think the the beneficial group here is going to be the NHL and uh, and obviously college hockey which you know is growing by leaps and bounds and, and that's that you know I know that your listeners are all college hockey fans and I can tell you it's something that uh, you know it's it's a growing sport and it's something that I think a lot of people you know in, in some of these institutions are looking at it and saying uh, you know let's go and I think one of the reasons, obviously, the Big Ten was excited about this is they have a new TV contract that's, uh, that will be up for renewal, and uh, I think they're looking to to really have one heck of a, a payday. And, you know, it's uh, certainly Big Ten hockey would work quite well on the Big Ten network. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's serious money in it. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think there's – this this may be the golden age of college hockey. I I think it might be entering that. I hope it I hope it's begin the beginning of such an age because it, right. you know we're having fun messing with these hypotheticals about other sports mm-hmm. having a hockey style draft. But of course, I say it a lot. My favorite thing about college hockey is that it's not like other college sports. It's a unique landscape. Mm-hmm. I it's been. It's the issue the Big Ten is still fighting and will have to work out over time, and they will work it out over time, that college hockey is its own world and you have to fit into it. It can't be the other way around. You can't make it into every other sport because the participants are often different. There are schools that, well, when was the last time you heard the University of Denver in the Final Four? They don't do that. They don't, they're not, they're not a basketball first school. North Dakota, one of these giant, you know, the blue bloods of men's college hockey, here they're, they don't, they're not really, 
that big at that many other sports, and you have plenty of other schools like that. You well, to your the point, the Big Ten, well. yeah, the Big Ten. At the same time, looking at other programming options, went to lacrosse, and you know, who in the right mind would have thought that Johns Hopkins, you know, a D three, you know, traditional power, no doubt, uh, would suddenly, and then they in, they played independently in, um, you know, in, in lacrosse, and, uh, you know, it was, you know, they got approached and accepted a a, uh, a role uh, as a lacrosse-only school, that's, they don't play anything else there, uh, but they, they're a lacrosse-only school in the, uh, in the Big Ten uh, for lacrosse. And they basically poached a perennial top ten hockey. I'm sorry, a lacrosse program, and uh, and and folded them into um, folded them into the league because they knew they couldn't get all of you know all the members of. Uh, I don't think you know the, the folks out in Nebraska are not going to go out playing lacrosse. Yeah, and that's that's the same reason they ended up taking Notre Dame into their hockey conference sure. starting next year. And it's going to be, right. I think that might be what helps the Big Ten hockey conference seem unique against the Big Ten juggernaut overwhelming the rest of college sports conferences. That mm-hmm. not every yeah, you know, Michigan has a rivalry with Notre Dame in football. No one else in the Big Ten really has a whole lot of history. It's not like Penn State and Notre Dame meet in football every year. For as big as those programs are, it's actually pretty rare these days that those two meet. So here well, are yeah, these two the, giant the schools that are far from each other yeah. that will get a chance to see each other a few times a year in hockey. Right. The the real rivalry in the in the Big Ten, you know, traditional long-term rivalry, old rivalry, between uh, – Notre Dame was, of course, Purdue. They, you know, they they share the same state as home, and right. so it was Purdue and, and, and Notre Dame because, again, Notre Dame used to play Purdue on a on a regular basis, and and you know during the heydays of the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and even to, into the early 70s, there was you know quite a uh, an amazing situation that, that went on with Purdue and with Notre Dame. Uh, the Michigan thing came along. Um, a little bit later, more in the late uh, 60s, early 70s, and more to the point probably in the early 80s. Uh, but, you know, uh, from your point on hockey, no question. I mean, uh, Michigan, Michigan State, you know, they all have relationships with, um, you know, with Notre Dame. They all are in the same situation of, of – uh, trying to recruit kids against each other, and so uh, yeah, I think that that was good, and I think it was good on Penn State to make, you know, to make that move. I think they made a very wise decision, and uh, you know, that was that was good for the Nittany Lions. I mean, I think it's good to have them in there, and that gives you yet, you know, that gives you an Eastern presence for the, uh, you know, for the Big Ten. Yeah, and their their rise has been pretty stellar. I I've joked before that as much as a favorite as they are, or as much as an underdog as they are, it just goes to show the power of all the money in the world because they did 
they really did receive an influx of money. But I think that's something that college hockey fans are really wrapping our minds around the last few years. We, when we're talking about hypotheticals. It's usually not sports drafts. It's what, how many schools can we get to develop these hockey programs? And I think people need to step back sometimes and realize it takes an awful lot of money to play college hockey. Oh, absolutely. It, it, that's Penn State has a program because they were lucky enough to have donations poured in, and the Big Ten has this bumper, you know, this network, and all this, all these deals where they're making a lot of money that Penn State could afford to, between those two things, start a program. But when we when we like to play with, well, now there's a Big Ten conference. Are all the Big Ten schools going to get hockey? Well, no. A lot of them aren't. In fact, I'm I'm not sure there's any other ones right now that are all that close to getting a program well, unless yeah, someone shows up yeah. with a giant check. Like but, someone can always say, show up yeah. with one of those big the movie style checks and there it is. Yeah. But until but, then you've got you've got seven teams in the Big Ten starting next year, including Notre yeah. Dame. Yeah, but you know, and this is you know I'll I'll wrap you up with this one, but I think that, you know, those who play college hockey, okay, I've understood the, the, the incredible sacrifice in many places it takes to actually play hockey on an amateur level to even get to college. I mean, it's not like you're playing college basketball, college baseball, college football. I'm sorry, high school baseball, high school basketball, and high school football. I mean, that starts in junior high school and works its way up. It's not often that you get into places. There Obviously, there are places in Minnesota and Wisconsin and others where there are vibrant, you know, high school hockey um, teams and or club hockey or something along those same lines. Uh, I mean, I know that uh, there's a lot of travel involved, a lot of parents that, you know, are are schlepping their kids, you know, to hockey tournaments that are 100, 200 miles away from home. Um, you know, there's a lot of money and time and effort and sacrifice in amateur hockey. And uh, so getting to college, getting that scholarship, getting to play at, you know, a, at one of these phenomenal institutions, that in and to itself in some regards is, is a major victory. And then to take it to the next level that you could become a pro, that's even that's even more amazing. But I, I, I give a shout out and you know, obviously Tim, you follow this game a great deal more than I. I give a great shout out though to the families of these guys because hockey amateur hockey is something that you gotta love it, you gotta be willing to, to spend money to do it and the families Sacrifice quite a bit to get uh, to get those kids to uh, to a college program, and uh, you know that's something that uh, that's kind of tough because you know that doesn't happen in in any of the other you know basketball, baseball, football. I mean, most high schools in the country play it, uh, but that's not necessarily the case. If you want to play hockey, you've got to. Uh, not only want it, but you got to have an investment in your family and and uh, and others to help you um, to get 
to get that taken care of because it's an expensive sport to play. It's it's a very very you got to be dedicated to go. As I said before, when you're playing two or three games over a weekend and you're a couple hundred miles from home because that's the closest you know that uh, you can get to play. And on that note, it's it's really unfortunate to have to talk about this, but I think the last thing we're, I'm going to touch on before we, we close is that yesterday afternoon, the University of North Dakota announced that they've cut their women's hockey program, along with the men's and women's swimming and diving teams. A larger-than-expected drop in state funding for the university cited as the cause. Not a lot is known right now about what really went on, how hard. I'm sure everyone gave their all to keep this program. A few months ago, they had announced that they were that they had found the that they were going to be able to stick with it, but unfortunately, they weren't able to do that. And um, what I'm really taking issue with is how the university handled the announcement. Allow me to quote from Brad Elliott Schlossman's article in the Grand Forks Herald that was up today. I'll, I'll have it linked in the description of this podcast. Brian Faison and President Mark Kennedy, Faison's the athletic director, informed the teams of the decision at a 2.45 p.m. meeting at Gamble Hall, but the athletes and staff members had already learned the fate of their programs through social media and news posts. The women's hockey team was skating on the ice when the news broke. They, ha- they also had a recruit, goalie Lauren Hennessy, arrive on official visit from Massachusetts on Wednesday afternoon. I don't know how long this was coming down the road, but it had to have been more than after the, the women's hockey team had gone out to practice and they made this announcement while the team was on the ice practicing that, for lack of a better word, that announcement and the timing of it is pretty pathetic. North Dakota is a hockey state. The University of North Dakota is one of the greatest men's hockey programs anywhere. The WCHA is the premier women's conference. They supported that team very well. Engelstad Arena rocked for their hockey games. They sent eight players to the last Olympic Games. And to dismiss it so suddenly without keeping the team in the loop just isn't the North Dakota hockey we're so used to celebrating. I'm not trying to read more into it, but it is, to say the very least, unfortunate that this came just days after the women, or just days before the Women's World Championship. After all we heard about U.S. hockey and the U.S. women's team that was about to boycott, and they, they finally worked out a deal, and just as they finally worked out a deal, Here's this announcement, and I hope the women who have so wonderfully represented the Hawks succeed on their national teams and find places to keep playing the game they so obviously love. And more than that, I hope they get an apology. Well, yeah, I think there's no question about it. I think you said it eloquently, and there's nothing more I can add to it other than to say that, um, you know, they should have uh, they should have suspended the uh, the program for a, a period of time saying look you know I'm talking about the the university should have said we're suspending until we can do a a financial review you know let the season finish and then in the off season begin a financial review 
by the end of say um let's say you know it's for as we are doing this podcast it's the end of march say by the end of may they could have done a forensic accounting they figured out you know are we going to be able to afford it or not and then honestly um have held this this is not the kind of thing that you drop um at this point in time because that's nothing that you do financially okay from a funding standpoint is affected now everybody's on a fiscal uh budget situation so it's not like they wouldn't have the money to, to you know to go to play to do whatever they needed to do um you they should have they should have let this thing played out to the end of the season and then put it in you know put it in a review situation and then made a quick decision. I think that what you're saying right here is, frankly, um, you know, is malfeasance on the part of, of the university. Uh, no other way of putting it. They they clearly they let down student athletes. I mean, they want student athletes to be athletes and represent the university. And you know, from what you've told me about the university out there, I know you've spent time talking to people out there. It's a it's a wonderful place, and it doesn't really matter where it is, but it boils down to they have a fiduciary responsibility to be fair to the people. For them to find out on Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever that they that they lost their program is that's a, that's cold. Thanks for joining us this week, Jim. How can people find you on social media? Uh, they can find me at Wordman DC or at NTFLA underscore politics if you are into the political aspect. But, Tim, it's really been a pleasure joining you, and I really thank you for for doing it. And I know that uh, you've got a lot of people out there that love college hockey, and, uh, you know, it's just going to grow. It's fantastic. I, I, I salute you all, and I'll be watching the Frozen Four with uh, with all of you, and it's, uh, it's always an exciting time of the year. And, um, you know, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming on. That's Puck University for this week. We're on iTunes and Stitcher. If you use either, please subscribe to us on our page there. Just search for Puck University. I'll be back next week on Thursday with a Frozen Four preview, and Chris Lynch will be calling us from the United Center. For Jim Williams, I'm Tim Williams. This has been Puck University. As always, keep your head up and your hits clean.